Gentlemen, I think it's appropriate for our first meeting, our first podcast, to at least raise a toast. Grab your weapon of choice. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers to a great podcast. Cheers. You all may need one of those by the time we're done with this story. <laughs> Welcome, Mofsi members, channel partners, and the food service industry as a whole to Mofsi's first podcast recording. And our intention is to discuss, inform, and speak to relevant topics in the food service industry. Mafsi has chosen the three most relevant and informed members of their board to run this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. I will start by introducing myself. My name is Chris Jeans. I'm with WD College Company based out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. So my journey in food service started at McDonald's at 15 years old. I was doing fries, cash, and the lot in lobby over there. That was my uh, introduction to food service. Uh, yet I grew up around food service because WD College is the namesake of my grandfather, Bill College. And so wow. I am third generation in the business. Uh, and I've been doing this for 28 years now. So uh, our company manages uh, a portfolio of manufacturers coast to coast in Canada. Uh, we're really proud of our team and the manufacturers we represent and uh, also proud of the fact that we have uh, been very, very dedicated to MOFSI and the board for as long as we have since about the year 2000. So wow. lots of uh, knowledge that we've gleaned from MOFSI. That is my life in food service in one minute. Nice. I'm Sean Gallagher with the Smith Wilson Group. I've been in the food service industry for 27 years now. I started my career uh, at a local dealer who mainly working on the tabletop and smallware side of the industry for about 17 years. About eight years ago, I made a decision that I wanted to learn and kind of specialize more on the heavy equipment side of the industry. So uh, I Found a great rep firm in the D.C. area. Um, two gentlemen, uh, Rob Schmidt and Pete Wilson, kind of took me um, under their wing, kind of trained me up on uh, everything heavy equipment, which was kind of the one piece of it in the industry that I was actually missing. Over the eight years, I've become uh, extremely knowledgeable in everything uh, uh, on the equipment side of this industry. Mike? I've been in food service part of every single year since I was 12. I started uh, scrubbing pots and bussing tables at my best friend at the time's uncle's restaurant in Philadelphia, and I've worked part of every single year since then, uh, and I've done just about every aspect of it. I've sold it. I've uh, broke it. I've used it. I've done everything about but fix it at this point in time, and I've even done that a few times. Just this past May 20th, celebrated my 23rd year with High Sabatino Associates. Uh, we are in the same market and territory as the Schmidt-Wilson Group. We're all good friends. We work closely together whenever possible. I even worked with Sean when he was at the uh, local Mid-Atlantic dealer in the <laughs> past. So we have a good connection there. So I've been doing this a while, been on the board for, I think I'm going on my third year now. So that's been super educational. I learn a lot from my fellow board members all the time. And that's, you know, quick journey down my, uh, my history here. So with that, topic number one, um, electrification, uh, it's, a, it's a movement towards reducing carbon, reducing the use of natural gas in commercial food service applications. As time passes, there are jurisdictions that are looking to eliminate natural gas or gas 
powered appliances and replace those with electricity uh, or electrical-based appliances. Um, that's a movement that started in California and is moving uh, to various states across the country and, in fact, into Canada as well, where I am based. Uh, we want to make sure that we cover both the positive aspects of this new movement, as well as the potential negative aspects. It's something that affects everybody in the food service industry. It affects customers, it affects dealers, it affects people building the, the commercial food service applications. It affects manufacturing. So anybody that's watching this, if you're in the commercial food service industry, this is something that is relevant. This is something that is happening now. And we want to make sure that uh, we cover as much as the three of us know about this topic and hope to start some discussions further to the to the conversation we have today. As Chris stated, it, it is it started in California. It's not without controversy. But as we look at this as a whole, uh, I'll take the position of the good, uh, although I will acknowledge that there are a lot of challenges ahead of us. So let's talk about the benefits, right? The low-hanging fruit on electricity here is uh, the reduction of greenhouse gases and the efficiency of electricity, right? So anything we can do to eliminate uh, carbon, our carbon footprint, whether it's, you know, the delivery of, of gas to an appliance and the subsequent gases that are released, as you think about cooking with gas on a stove, in particular, you know, gas is coming up all the way around the side of the pan or it's controlled tightly and you have a little bit, but either way you are uh, fluing an effluent through a hood and that is, you know, our carbon footprint. Um, cost savings and maintenance, you know, let's talk about that a little bit. Electric as a whole, environment aside, is around right now today as an average about 58% cheaper based on the math that I came up with looking at the average, you know, cost per cubic foot of gas versus the average cost per kilowatt of electric, it's roughly about 58% less overall. Not consistent through every state, but generally about that. So you also have health, safety, and noise reduction. I don't know about the noise, but <laughs> health and safety, without the carbon monoxide, without the gas effluent, no gas, no explosion, no flame, you know, electricity is controlled. Most of our electric cooking when it comes to a stovetop is likely to be induction. Induction, I myself just put an induction range in my own kitchen here at home, super efficient, able to precisely control that temperature. I can set it to 115 degrees, temper chocolate very easily. It is really, really impressive how the energy is directed directly to the product that you're cooking. Super efficient, super safe. You're not, um, you're not at risk of getting burned. I mean, I've got got a nice one from just a demo the other day on a on a range. So with cost, I acknowledge we can put electric just about anywhere, right? And that's an easy path. We can't always get gas to where we are. Gas is expensive. Gas isn't always available everywhere. Fortunately for us anyway in the United States, electricity is readily available. There are limitations to power boxes and things like that, but that can be overcome with an upgrade. It also allows us more flexibility because we have the opportunity to put ventless somewhere. You can't be ventless with gas 
because you have the gas effluent. So you have now, whether it's a hospital or a college or a university or one of those things, uh, a convention center, you can now put a an electric cooking appliance in some nook with a ventless hood and bring food service to a space that was previously not available. And there are some great manufacturers of ventless hoods right now. Some equipment manufacturers make ventless specifically for their equipment. And there are other manufacturers that make overall ventless hoods that you can put other electric equipment in. Cost savings and maintenance, I touched on that about 58% less. Maintenance-wise, you know, you have, there's no real maintenance to it. It's either going to work or it's not. It's computer circuitry in most cases, or a computer board that's going to control you know, the turning off and turning on of the unit. And then you have typically some form of an electric heating element, you know, all of which is not maintenance intensive. Mike, I think that's a good point to jump into the bed because there is maintenance involved in a lot of the, uh, you know, at least when you go into ventless technology, whether you're replacing, you know, a lot of it has to do with the filters on on certain, you know, models and how often those filters need to be changed um, and how, how much those filters cost to maintain and, and to change it. With everything you said that's good, I feel like there are some negatives um, to that go along with the you know electrification movement in our country right now, or I'll say in North America. One of the main focuses you know that people aren't thinking about is what's pushing this. What's the cause of the electrification in North America? And you know a lot of it comes down to politics. Why is there such a push in certain areas and there isn't a push in others? You know, 187 million people are currently using natural gas um, in their cooking applications today. So with 187 people, you know, using gas, we want to try to find a way that we can minimize and offset the carbon footprint. All the movement um, on either side of the aisle is talking about greenhouse greenhouse gases and emissions. Since 1990, you know, the natural gas industry has been able to cut their greenhouse emissions by over 69% uh, um, in the market. So we've taken a 69% reduction in the carbon footprint, still utilizing natural gas in our in our cooking industry. So back, and you had mentioned back in um, Berkeley, I think it was Berkeley County, uh, California, uh, tried to ban not necessarily natural gas, but actually the piping to use natural gas is kind of how they went about it. And in doing so, the California Restaurant Association had filed a lawsuit against them, claiming that they were unjust and that they were uh, violating the restaurateur's rights to be able to use fire as a way to cook. Just a couple months ago, the high courts had ruled that it was unconstitutional to ban the natural gas in the cooking process. So I think in this podcast, we can, you know, kind of discuss and talk about, you know, the benefits of using natural gas, why, why some people, you know, still want to, you know, have a, a nicely seared steak, um, you know, over fire versus over a, a hot iron grate that was produced by electric. You know, what, what are the benefits? What are, what are the, um, you know, the positives and negatives to, to both sides? And I think that there really are positives and benefits to both sides. But I think it should be about what's right for the operator and what's right to help allow us to be able to continue to help offset our car- carbon footprint. But maybe let's just not go off the deep end and, you know, just say we, we don't want any of it because it, it, some of it does provide a benefit, uh, you know, to, to the American people, so and and our Canadians. <laughs> as far as as far as fire and 
a steak. Um, I'll just share a recent story. I was out to dinner with some friends who've eaten at my house and, you know, we were at a nice steakhouse. They were enjoying the steak. They said, it's wonderful. He said, but nothing rivals the steak we had at your house. Coming over, Mike. Yeah, come on. Um, anytime. But I cooked that steak using low temperature cooking in a, in a home use, uh, blast chiller shock freezer that also low temperature cooks. Then I reverse seared that on my induction range in a cast iron skillet. I had that great caramelization on the outside. I had herbs and herb infused butter, compound butters serving that, some shallots. Turned out beautiful, all without fire. Um, I represent a combi manufacturer and, and, you know, it was a year ago I was at this big hotel and the, the chef all tattooed up. He's like, yeah, I mean, I think it's great technology, man, but yeah, I can't cook without fire. And it made me think, you know, I, I know you rep a combi manufacturer, Sean. Do you rep a combi, Chris? I do. Yes. Right. So we can all look at our combis and, and realize that, you know, there's really not anything that we can't do in that piece of technology. We can grill, we can sear, we can you know, fire it as a griddle. We can do all sorts of things to bring that same result back in an electric environment more efficiently, quicker. And that's just one piece of technology. You add that to the induction and we're, you know, we use a phrase, we're cooking with gas. No, we're, we're cooking electric. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll jump in there and, and cause you bring up the operator. And I think that ultimately the, the, the biggest impact for any of these decisions is going to, it's going to be seen by the operator. And I want to, I want both of you to, to comment on how you feel it might impact new build or the entrepreneur that wants to start a, a restaurant. Uh, you know, if I'm going to, start the conversation, I could say that by not being able to use gas, it may uh, inhibit the the build of a new restaurant for some operators. Uh, for others that are concerned with the environment and with greenhouse gases, it might be a, an incentive to build. I'll throw it over to the two of you to, to make comment on what you feel like the impact of, of a, an increase in electrification will have on new business openings in commercial food service. Just through personal experience over the last, you know, year dealing with the local chain, trying to have a restaurant and this particular restaurant was going with trying to be 100 uh, percent electric and kind of, uh, you know, kind of jump on the bandwagon a little bit um, on the electrification. The biggest problem is I don't think the country right now is ready for every operator to then become 100% electric. You know, the time that it took just to get a panel upcharge from a 400 amp to a, to a second 400 amp circuit in there, you know, was six to eight months. And even when they were able to heavy up the electric, you know, they were still ha having to, you know, cross utilize different circuits that shouldn't have been been utilized because the restaurant tour did not have enough power to then operate his in his restaurant or to get everything hooked up the way he wanted to. So I think electrification is not bad, but I don't think the country's in a place right now that they are able to support the demand for the electric that they're going to need. California being a perfect example. You know, just last year, California had to go on rolling blackouts. And at the time that they went on rolling blackouts, that kilowatt hour that was, I think Mike said, was 58% cheaper than natural gas. I think I saw a study that said it went from uh, $100 for 1,000 kilowatt hours up to almost $2,000 per kilowatt hour when it was in a high demand peak 
during these natural rollouts. So until we can figure out a way for you know us to be self-sufficient and be able to provide the electric needed to go 100% electric, electrical, then I think you know we should not ban natural gas at this time. Mike, I don't I don't think we're 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 banning gas as a whole, right? Like starting tomorrow, everything's going to be electric. You're right, Sean. I 100% agree. I don't think the infrastructure is even close to ready for that. Uh, somebody I own a I own a Tesla and got into a conversation that if every person in my neighborhood bought a Tesla and then started charging at home, would the transformers that come off the power poles that support our neighborhood be able to sustain that if everybody's charging at the same time? I don't know the answer, but some people seem to think that that was not possible. The bottom line on this is the perception is it's going this way anyway. Talking to the CEO of of one of the oldest cooking manufacturers in the country, he said in a phone conversation in preparation for this, he said to me, he said, you know, right now, Mike, we are 95% gas, 5% electric. In five years, as I look at the industry, I believe that we're going to be 50-50. In 10 years, we're going to be 95% electric and 5% gas. And he's, he's even now today, he's looking at this and going, I'm losing today about one cooking suite a month to a competitor because we can't provide that entire suite in electric. Uh, you've got big companies like uh, Meta, which is Facebook. You have Alphabet, which is Google. Uh, it's not going in their kitchens. Microsoft as well. It's not going in their kitchens unless it's electric. I don't know that this is an immediate ban, but it is a a a jumping off point where we're going to have time to build that infrastructure that you're talking about. Manufacturers are going to ramp up. They're going to change manufacturing to gas. They're going to come up with solutions like uh, battery wall packs, like Tesla offers a uh, a a a Tesla wall something or other, which stores energy in batteries so that when you have that, that power outage, instead of cranking up your gas generator, it goes right to that power wall that powers your home. If we think bigger and we start building that technology, somebody, probably a lot of companies are going to develop that technology, which is going to be another boon for our industry and for our economy as a whole. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in because there's a lot to ingest with both of your uh, uh, your comments that that touched on a, on a number of points. Um, first of all, timelines, and I'll cite Canada has a has a, an incentive or a goal as a country to get to um, net zero by 2050, and net zero meaning that there's no greenhouse gases emitted by that time. Um, okay, so we have the the goal of net zero and. To, Jurisdictions will have different targets as far as when that happens. We can we've already been able to reduce the natural gas output by up to sixty nine percent. So why not put more incentive into mandating high efficiency gas equipment in addition to electric equipment as opposed to just eliminating gas equipment overall? Like can that sixty nine percent go down even further? and still have a positive impact on the environment and on greenhouse gas emissions, do other things to help make the net zero possible in, in all economies. And uh, 
maybe maybe that's a better focus. I'll I'll let you guys comment. In a study I read, you know, in the hospitality industry, I believe it was less than eight percent of all greenhouse gas emitted are done through the restaurant tours um, and done through, um, you know, the cooking equipment, natural gas cooking equipment in the hospitality market. I don't think there's anything wrong with electric equipment. I saw a lot of it. You know, um, I work with it on a, on a daily basis. I think what it comes down to is the mom and pop uh, restaurant tour that is going to be able to open up a restaurant a lot more um, cost effective by using natural gas cooking equipment than having to go to 100% electric or 100% electric ventless cooking equipment. So, Sean, is that because the cost of equipment in your overall electric equipment is more of an is a more expensive capital purchase? Yeah, more expensive upfront cost on electric than some of the natural gas cooking equipment, just with the co- different components that you're do- using, the different elements um, that you have. Uh, there is a much higher cost for electric than there is necessarily for currently natural gas. Not to say that electric won't come down as more and more uh, equipment is being manufactured over the course of the next you know five to 10 years. But Mike made a good point about time. Best thing about the food service industry is its ability to adapt and to adapt quickly. I think we saw that during COVID, and I think we um, saw that you know now for the last few years when everybody's been talking about electric and electrification. With that said, I think it comes down to time and money, right? I think it's a good thing to do, but I think you know having the infrastructure to to do it to make it happen um, is is really what it's about. I think we're we're kind of jumping the gun. With some of these um, states that kind of want to, whether they just want to get on the record or they they really think they're doing some good or they're just trying to create great waves, I don't know. But I think they're premature right now um, to say that they need to do a total natural gas ban uh, in the food service industry, especially when three out of four operators are using natural gas at this time. Mike, is there a balance that you see as a as a positive possibility to to increase electrification? And yet, still be able to manage the use and the, the 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 build of gas appliances. Maybe I think so. Um, we're talking about two things, right? We're talking about changing, right, which has its own uh, challenges, and we're talking about starting new, right? Like, so if I wanted to open a restaurant today, I have the luxury of choosing gas, electric, a combination of the two. And a lot of that, quite honestly, if, if I, I want to be really honest, is, is it's really going to depend on where I am, you know, what's available to me. As a sophisticated business operator, I'm going to look at those things and I'm going to today try and make a decision how I can get my food service operation open, right? So then I check that with, you know, future-proofing my business. In a, in a retrofit, I think we have a lot of challenges. If we have a gas kitchen, right, and gas is hotter in a kitchen than electric is, we have makeup air built into most of our hoods or somewhere into the kitchen to exchange that heat for comfort in the kitchen. We have our gas hood, and then we turn around and we we make the investment. We We bring additional electric panels in, like Sean said, and 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 he's right. Today, with demand, I think Sean cited an example that that was six to eight months to 
upgrade to another 400 amp panel in that particular example used so that they could go electric. That's unreasonable. We can't go eight months without making money or making profit. But the other part of that is, is, you know, if we put all electric under our gas hood that has makeup air, it's conditioned air based on certain BTUs leaving that equipment in the kitchen. And that's going to be have to be adjusted and on an engineering level. So, you know, a con, even though I'm on the good side of this, <laughs> you got you switched. That's going to be expensive, right? That's going to be a big change. And you're right. Electric equipment is more expensive today. The combi manufacturer that I rep, rep, same exact model, same exact size. The electric unit is about eight to 12% more expensive than its gas equivalent. The end of this for me is I think you have to be, you have to measure your opportunity for business with being a steward for the planet. Well put. We don't want to get micro-focused and say, it's all or nothing. We're going to do this tomorrow. All gas is cut off. That's not realistic. We have to build an infrastructure. Uh, Tesla, for example, uh, five years ago, I looked at buying a Tesla. There weren't as many superchargers across the country, right? I plugged in my daughter's address who lives in Mobile, Alabama, and I plugged it in. It was going to take like 24 hours to get to Mobile when they factored in all the stops for chargers. Fast forward four years later, I plugged the same exact address in, and it's only three hours longer than it would have taken me. Three additional hours gives me some rest, some breaks, some lunch, some potty breaks, whatever. It's a compromise, but it only cost me three cents to force three cents ish a mile to drive my Tesla versus you know, a lot more. I mean, the federal government in our businesses allocates in the United States, I think it's 65 and a half cents a mile right now that, that they estimate the cost for, you know, wear and tear on the car, cost of fuel, maintenance, et cetera. So costing me three or four cents a mile is a big difference. So that, Mike, is, uh, you know, it speaks to efficiency. And, and I think we all acknowledge that a, an electric appliance is utilizing the full range of energy that's put into whatever the heat source is uh, compared to gas where you're burning some fuel and you're only capturing a certain percentage of that of that combustion in order to heat that appliance and then transfer heat over to the pan or the oil or whatever it is that you're heating so um, efficiency you know one thing we haven't talked about yet um, the notion of rewarding people for utilizing more efficient equipment. Most jurisdictions have rewards that they're giving to Absolutely. operators for using electric equipment or conversely using more efficient gas equipment. And we can make this one of our final uh, conversation pieces here today. Just like, is that the movement towards incentivizing people to use more efficient equipment or to use electric equipment? Is that the key to making the food service industry uh, either embrace or uh, speed up the, the the movement towards electrification as a as a as a whole. I think it definitely helps. Uh, like the pain point, which will probably be your pocketbook, right? Um, if you can, you know, the government offering, you know, the cash incentives or you know a, a credit off off their annual taxes in order to go electric, um, I think could definitely help ease some of the pain and uh, make the restaurateurs more adaptable or more likely to look at some of the electric 
uh, cooking equipment that they haven't done in the past. One point that uh, to, to Mike's um, conversation and when we were talking about it, I just remembered I was when I was at NRA this past weekend, I was talking to a gentleman uh, who runs, uh, who oversees all the Taffer's Taverns, um, which is a concept by John Taffer that he started to go all 100% electric. And uh, the first case was done in Alpharetta, Georgia. And um, they took all the numbers and they took all the utilities off of um, what the current operator was using in Alpharetta. And uh, his another restaurateur up in Boston was using that to configure all of his calculations. Well, one thing they didn't realize is that the the electric in Boston is about three times more expensive um, than it is in Alpharetta, Georgia to, to use. So one one operator was paying about $3,000 a month in um, electrical costs. Uh, the next operator in a different city was paying uh, you know, almost 10 grand a month uh, just in electric, utilizing um, the same amount of cooking equipment and actually the same equipment. So there's definitely, uh, like you said, if you can bring in some benefits and to help offset some government grants and um, rebates, then uh, somebody in the city of Boston who might not be as willing to go ahead and go all electric may be able to benefit from some of that offset than, uh, say, somebody in, uh, you know, Texas or, you know, Georgia. Sean, did they give you some data as to what those numbers, whether it be 3,000 or 10,000, how it compared to what was... The, the previous incarnation that would have likely been using gas equipment? Uh, they did not, just because we weren't talking about gas versus electric at that time. We were just talking about the different of electrical rates from uh, Georgia to Boston, which was about three times the difference in price. So, Well, I'd have to imagine that the business case for that that change, and, and familiar having seen it at the trade show uh, and at NAFM as well, it's a business case that that is working. And that that movement to electrification and ventless equipment in that in that operation is 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 a success. So the the scale of or cost in different jurisdictions is certainly going to be a a, a factor. And hundred percent, I, I suppose over time that might level itself out. So yeah, I think we can all agree that there's nothing wrong with the electric cooking equipment. Um, I think it's just saying you know just putting limitations on you know natural gas at this time is not, in my opinion, is not the uh, correct direction or to go, you know, to, to ban get natural gas 100%. So I think your point about the electricity in that study in the uh, Taffers, uh, Sean, was, you know, spot on. I, I have a graph to my left on my other computer screen that shows uh, the average U.S. electricity retail prices in 2021. In Georgia, at that time, it was roughly 10 to 12 cents a kilowatt hour. In Massachusetts, it was uh, at least 15 cents a kilowatt hour. So it is substantially higher. But when you look at the graph of the United States, and, and my apologies to my good friend to the Great White North, um, it is a United <laughs> States graph. We have, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six states that are red indicating. cents per kilowatt hour or higher. We have the majority of the country uh, is significantly lower in that eight to nine cents or nine to 10 cent range and uh, a handful of states in that 10 to 12 cent range. So what's California? uh, California is one of the red states. California is one of the more expensive states. Go figure. They don't even make all their electricity. So. 
ironically, you know, that's the state that kind of kicked all this off. My last point on this is a lot of this is politically divided, right? There are three major states that are driving this pro-electric anti-gas thought process. And two of them are two of the most densely populated in the U.S., California and New York. And the other one is Washington State, with Oregon being pretty close to Washington State in how they feel about that. There is a massive amount of rebellion to this, you know, electrification of commercial kitchens or electrification codes through the majority of the other states. And interestingly enough, from a U.S. political landscape, it almost falls directly on political lines. (laughs) And, you know, if you are far to the right, you're like, don't tell me what to do. I want to do this. If you're far to the left, you want to hug trees and save the world. This isn't a political uh, podcast. It's just information as to where it falls. I think it's a compromise. I think, you know, I'm not going to sit here and hardcore say electric, damn it. It's, 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 we have to look to the future. We have to plan the course well, and it's never an all or nothing thing, right? I think we have to grow into it. And I think if we can reduce our part in greenhouse gases and those sorts of things that are, are changing our planet in, in, a, in an inexplicable way, in an inexplicable timeline, we should do that. What, what say you, Chris? I'll tie this thing together. I'm going to ask you guys a couple questions, but my, I have one comment. I, I'm hopeful that if anybody makes it through this podcast long enough to ask Mike for the graph that he pointed <laughs> at, that he was <laughs> apologetic that he didn't have yeah. on screen. I, 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 God bless you. <laughs> there's, a, there's a gift. There's a gift coming your yes. way if you ask Mike for that graph. One question for Mike, one question for Sean, uh, understanding that this is a Mopsy broadcast. We have membership that that spans reps and it spans manufacturers. So just one minute, Sean, as to what can a rep do uh, most effectively in order to manage the, the, the build towards electrification in our industry? That's a great question, Chris. I think what a rep can do is knowledge is power. The more you know about the changes, the, no, the more you know about the equipment offerings that are uh, um, coming out through your different manufacturers, uh, the, the more you read, you know, uh, industry, you know, news and magazines and are engaged, uh, the more that you take part in the Mossy website and, um, and you, you know, you learn about all the different tools that Mossy has for for you to continue your education, um, you know, knowledge is power. I can leave it at that, Chris. That's well stated. Mike, I'm going to ask you the same question, except I'm going to ask what you think a manufacturer in our, in our industry can do in order to be ready for electrification. That's also a great question. And uh, I, I commend Sean on, a, on an excellent answer, too. I, I, think, I think that's right. Uh, the answer for manufacturers, why, you know, what can a manufacturer do to help plant the seed? I think it's a golden time for manufacturers right now to future-proof their businesses. What tools can I offer? What what? How can I look to the future for developing this technology? Uh, take induction, for instance. You know there there you know there's plenty of induction manufacturers, but most of the uh, most of the n- national manufacturers of commercial food service equipment uh, 
use you know the same few. So when a manufacturer can develop their own technology and figure out a way to improve it, that would be a good thing. And I mentioned you know uh, power storage. You know somebody who develops that is going to be uh, very successful. An intelligent, well-funded, well-researched manufacturer is going to look at solutions down the road. They're going to invest in engineering, research, and development that's going to make this transformational for us as opposed to what it is today, confrontational for you know those that are for and those that are against. Sean Gallagher, Mike Colligan. Chris Jeans. Chris Jeans. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen, for for conversation. I think to summarize, it knowledge is power and future-proof your business and electrification is here to stay. It's here to stay and in what form it manifests itself as far as how far it becomes relevant in, in the food service industry it remains to be seen, but the conversation was productive and, and I'm, I'm glad that we sh- shared. We really appreciate Bryce from Crave and everything you've contributed to getting us organized and, and wired up as a podcast crew which and, was a hundred percent his effort by the way yeah. us <laughs> clowns couldn't figure this out <laughs> to save our lives yeah thank god allison said yeah we're gonna bring uh craven on this because the three of us thinking we could do this by ourselves we would have no idea so and if you want to feed us some topics reach out to any one of us by email uh this is you know the industry so this is your podcast it's being originated by Mossy, but it is for all of us. So uh, share what you'd like to hear about next, and thank you for listening. Mike has a bottle of liquor and a graph to send to <laughs> That's right. Uh, there's only one bottle of liquor, so it only goes to the first person that requests it, okay? Take care, guys.